those nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jack LeBrock. Hi, I'm David Reynolds. You're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. It's a sad farewell today because uh, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock were having a chance to talk with Gary Coleman. Now, I've been fortunate enough to have had Gary's company for uh, about a week of my life when I was in a hospital. Um, But uh, far bigger picture than that was the fact that Gary's been involved with supercars since 2002 and you're no longer travelling with the circus. No, I've stepped back away from that a little while ago because I've got three other chaplains in supercars. One's Ian Young out of Melbourne, he does Victorian Tasmania. I've got Charlie Sandham up in Ipswich and he does Darwin and Townsville. And I've got Steve Peach on the Gold Coast who does the Gold Coast with Charlie and Townsville. And then both of them come here from time to time as well at Bathurst. Okay. Now, you're a full-time minister in the church. Uh, I'm no longer pastoring a church, but I manage two Christian organisations. One's a teaching organisation that I run, the other one's a foundation we help provide funding for mission organisations around the world, and I've been on that board for about 25 years. But I preach regularly twice a month at a church in Sydney, and wherever else invited from time to time. In Dundas, the little uniting church in Dundas, where my wife's sister and husband are elders there, and uh, they invite me to preach twice a month. Little congregation, only about 30 people, mostly oldies, love the, love, love the word, like to be preached. And they only missed one Sunday during COVID because they had enough numbers to fill their church and spread them all out. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Now, um, your history in motorsport goes back quite a way. Um, almost predates me. No, it doesn't actually. Mm-hmm. 70, 72, 71 was my start, but yeah, anyway. Mine was 86 yeah. at Amaru Park. Okay. Um, your active involvement though, did it start then? Was that in 86? It was because I did the events at Amaru Park and then Bathurst, and that was all I did. And that was an ARDC involvement? Yes. Yeah. So, and of course at Bathurst because ARDC ran Bathurst. And then after about 12 months or so, I thought, well, Warren Park has race meetings too. So I started to go to there. But see, I had stepped out of a church at that time and to fund myself to do this full time, I was driving tourist coaches or express coach for Pioneer and later on for Greyhound, and then later on for Hopkinsons and Murrays. And when there was a race meeting of I'd go off the schedule and come back on again. And that developed until up into uh, 2001 or two, when our rally chaplain, who'd been travelling the series, said the only way to get to know the people, the teams and the drivers and be where you is you've got to follow the circuit. And so that was when in uh, our conference in 2001, the only time my wife was present at a national sports conference, they put the question together, you've got to do the series, and she was party to say, yes, you ought to do it. So then I began travelling with supercars and travelling the other events. And of course, I also picked up to become Tony Warren's coach driver, yep. uh, which meant sometimes I was gone seven or eight days in a row yeah. driving out to places. But that, that was the consistent supercar ones. 
But by that time, I had moved from one chaplain myself to that time about 15 or 20. I've now got 53 chaplains. Wow. So every major track around the country has at least one, sometimes up to four or five, like there are four of us here this weekend uh, for that. And when supercars had come in, I'd be there as well as the local guys. Uh, and now at, at almost every major motor race event, bikes, rallies, off-road, uh, track racing, we've got chaplains at almost all of those. Tony Warren, of course, was in charge of the smash repair team, yes. and which was a stalwart until the teams got so large that they said, no, no, we'll repair it ourselves, thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, yeah. And so the smash repair team, who had built so many cars here at Bathurst in particular, um, no longer had that place. And you know, it, it did, and it got to the point also, because uh, I travelled with Tony and, and Diane for a long while, and they were always thinking, what's going to happen next? Because, see, the main reason they did that was that Tony never had a childhood teenage ideal. He'd been separated from his mum in those uh, 10 pound palms that were brought out. And so he wanted young apprentices to have more than what he'd had. And so the whole thing was to train apprentices yeah. who happened to work on race cars. And then as that got bigger, he realised no one else was going to do it because they did it for nothing. Yes. You know, all their sponsorship paid for everything and the, all the cars were fr prepared free if they provided their own parts. And so that they were always thinking, what's going to happen next? So they were starting to look at winding down, but that was the time when their team was the biggest. Yes. I drove the double-decker coach. They had, uh, what's his name? I forget his name now. Uh, drove the, uh, the, the truck that they had and others. Uh, a good friend, I forgot his name. It was terrible. Um, so it was at the biggest level it was, but by the same token, it got to the point where it couldn't do cars here yes. because they were... Uh, they didn't want other people looking at the cars. They wanted them done professionals, had apprentices doing them, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so it was at that point where, when they finally said, no, we're going to close it up. I, I do remember a time when there were a few um, people, uh, well, I won't call them uh, legends, but you know, people who'd been experiencing the sport would bring their cars along. Maybe you could do this restoration when you're not... Yes, 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 that's right, they did. And, and they would do them because the apprentices got the experience. And yeah. That was the main thing, yeah. Okay, um, now I um, was very grateful for you visiting me daily uh, up there on the Gold Coast, um, but your services have unfortunately been required in a far larger case for many times over the last 20 odd years. Mm -hmm, yeah. um, very sadly, you know, a number of people have died at this track and others. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously a time when you were called on far more to, yeah. to be. Yeah. Uh, you've had a role on race day here for some years, um, which, um, you know, maybe Tony Cochran initiated, but that's been something that's been terrific as part of uh, the event on race day. Yes, and for most of the 18 years I've been praying uh, at before the anthem at not only here but a number of other tracks around the country and and, and some people wanted me to pray open place and i said oh, that's a bit too much and then over the last year or so not so much but i will be on sunday for my final time here that's been a tremendous privilege it's been an amazing thing because there's no other sport in the country that has anybody pray at the beginning of anything and that's unique but then again the american tradition is part of behind that but I, I've been amazed, and I talked with some people this morning, is that they realise that, that almost everybody stands up, almost every hat comes off, and you can hear the birds in the trees, yeah. which is quite unique. Yeah. And, and I might get teary now talking about it, but it's one of those things when I'm finished, I think this is rather incredible for it to happen. But it shows that there's a respect for protection for our, our teams and drivers, yeah. but there's a genuine respect to say, well, we hope there's somebody there 
and we hope we have is, is favour today. Yeah. yeah, and it's a time to reflect on it, and that yeah. is, is taken very much by all the teams mm. as part of that. Well, see, the other thing is, like we've done each morning so far here, that we get to pray with all the flaggies, all the, the uh, fireys, all the tow truck guys, all the scrutineering people, and all those in pit lane every morning for the five days at their request, yes. and many of them say that quietens our day, that helps to focus on what we're doing here. And in my prayer Sunday, I'll be praying specially for refreshment for all the officials who put in six days here, and they've got to be the sharpest on Sunday. So yeah, it's been a privilege to be part of all that. But on the sadder side, when those other things have happened, uh, I had pastored three churches before getting to the chaplaincy, so I had dealt with all of those things in pastoring with uh, fatalities and suicides, and also with uh, cancer and all those kind of things. So I had a background ability knowing what people go through individually. So, and there's about five circles of people involved. There's obviously the team and the family. And so we have a way of helping them on the time. And the teams particularly, if this happens earlier on the weekend, they're gonna get through the weekend. Yes. It's different to dealing with them if they're going home. The same with the marshals. Uh, we've got a council with, and matter of fact, if something serious happens, usually CAMS on our Motorsport Australia will say, those on that point will see the chaplain at the end of the day. And, and there are ways that we suggest how they get through the night because they've got another day to go. If it's on the Sunday, we have some contact, but the, the chief uh, marshal on that point will keep in touch with his people for the next week. And if any of them see that they're not handling well, I'll get a phone call from them or from the Motorsport Australia office and we'll phone them and wherever they are in the country, if they've gone home, my chaplains in those states can make further contact and that's where under duty of care, uh, supercars and Motorsport Australia, they've got to make sure follow through is carried out and so that's how our network now works for that. And apart from when I got to see you <laughs> up in the Gold Coast, bringing you reports of the track and watching TV and wonder why you couldn't be out there and the doctors weren't helping. <laughs> um, of course, we know that motorsport has become a far bigger industry and a business and a lot more people work in it yeah. full time. But uh, there are many other aspects. And the fact that you've had the involvement in this sport is an indication that it's, it's a more mature business. Well, it is. Yeah. yeah. But what other changes have you seen in the time? Not just the number of t-shirts and the no. size of the hats or anything like that? Well, the one thing would be the change here and the professionalism in the pits, the professionalism with the, the marshals to protect them. Like uh, I've got, a, when I do a dinner, I do a video Bathurst 60 to 66. The guy comes around at Forest Elbow and he's got a t-shirt on, gets out, gets the bumper bar jack out for his valiant and the cars are still going past. So that professionalism and protection. But I believe something happened during the 60s when duty of care became an issue. Because it used to be, this is all about motor cars and people turn up. And I believe a shift took place was, this is all about people who happen to have motor cars. And that duty of care from teams, from management, and, and general care in the, in the area of what we do with our sport uh, has improved so much to recognise it's all about people. And from our point of view, I'll use the illustration, when I turn up, Tim Schenken relaxes, or uh, James Taylor relaxes, because they're responsible for what happens on the track, the race secretary for what happens in the day, but who does the people stuff? Well, we're the ones who do that. So they can relax because otherwise, they were responsible the clerk of the course and the secretary of the meeting for everything that happened at a race event. 
and a lot of stuff happens. Sometimes we do things amongst the crowd, uh, but mostly within all our categories here. So I believe that change took place, and now under law by duty of care, that has to happen. And, and we are written into the regulations of almost every major sporting event in the country of either a chaplain or peer support coordinator or people carer. Of the 53 you spoke of people who are yeah. working their chaplaincy, um, is there any common denominator amongst those? Who, you know, is there a love of motorsport or is there a... Yeah, there's a love of motorsport and for many had a participation in it. Like I've got three guys here today, Doug Rowan from, from Bathurst, he's a mechanic. I first met him as he was on a, a race crew here for a, support, a saloon race somewhere. My other two guys, Peter and Brian, have both been in the Autosport Car Club for 40 years. They've both been rallying. Uh, they are involved with background. Brian's involved with helping build a race car with a friend. So that there, uh, my, one of my guys in Melbourne used to race sprint cars. Uh, one of my retired guys in Melbourne used to race bikes. Uh, so yeah, most have been in the sport in some way, uh, have a passion for the sport, but that's probably equal with or over, overridden by their passion for people. And uh, I've had people want to become chaplain, they see me and they want my job with supercars. <laughs> the answer is get in the queue. Uh, everybody wants that. Uh, but I want somebody who's more concerned with people and would even miss what's happening on the track because there's somebody they need to talk to. And uh, we now look for that kind of person who's prepared to have that passion and give me a minimum three years so that the people they're going to be with in that category know they're serious and not just dropping in to get a t-shirt or whatever. And those kind of people are not easy to find. All right, well, we, we mentioned about some of the tough days in the job where you have to look after people, yeah. but you've had a lot of days where they're actually the good days. You've married people that you've met here. Yes. You've dedicated their children's yes. lives yes. and all those sorts of things. What has that experience been like? Because the yin and yang, it's the polar opposites of the... That kind of thing's been thrilling. For one person, shall remain unnamed to dedicate his son. It was a tremendous thrill for my wife and I to be able to do that. And to marry Steve Johnson and Bree was uh, quite a, a thrill there. And especially when the vows they wrote, which they didn't see each other until they spoke them, they were two of the most precise vows of commitment to another person that I've ever seen in, in, in the dozens of marriages I've done, you know. And then others outside of this category, a lot in Speedway with families there. I've visited hospital visit and buried people with cancer deaths and families and so on, and also some of the tragic side. Um, but part of that's to be able to know I was able to be significant at a serious time but I knew what I was doing. I knew what was needed at the time. Sometimes it was just a shoulder. Sometimes it was a few words. Sometimes it was some in-depth looking. Uh, and, and other times it was just pure fun. So uh, th th that's been the most enjoyable time with me of mixing with it. And honestly, in each of the sports I've been in, I have met some of the most amazing families that are really uh, committed, decent, loyal to each other families that uh, I've met anywhere in, in all my all I've traveled and all I've traveled. Motor racing ministries. There's also sport ministries, sporting yes. ministries. Has is there a relationship between those organisations yes. at all? Our organisation overall is Sports Chaplains Australia. It began as Sports and Leisure Ministry back in '84. It's now Sports Chaplains Australia. We basically provide 
chaplains for all sporting categories in the country. There are two or three other chaplaincy organisations that look for chaplains in the community, in schools and, and clubs and so on. Uh, but if they want to get into sport, they are fed into our organisation. We run training programs with them on the uniqueness of sport chaplaincy. Uh, but my area of motorsport chaplaincy, we are the motorsport division of that. We have 53 chaplains and Sports Chaplaincy Australia has now uh, over 750 towards 800 chaplains uh, with probably a request for five or 6,000. And one of the reasons for that is that anybody in sport dealing with teenagers is going to be dealing with some serious issues. And whether it's a road fatality or it's an attempted suicide or otherwise, and the coach and the manager say, we need help, what do we do? Well, now we are so widely known because of some of those issues that they either want their own chaplain or they want a category chaplain or they want access to phone numbers if those things should happen. So I think that's one of the serious things across our entire country and people in the United States where we have contacts have similarly that dealing with uh, teenagers today and their difficulties. Uh, but, but apart from that, uh, it's just that clubs recognise the need, somebody on the side, and interestingly enough, a lot of that chaplaincy care is to the management and those in senior roles, and particularly, as in any organisation, whoever's at the top usually has no one to talk to. They can't unload. And sometimes I've had, I've had some very special times with clerks, of course, with race directors at the end of a day when there's been something serious to uh, have a few minutes with them, a short prayer with them to help them relax and then follow up phone call later in the week. As a person of faith, I'm going to ask you a bigger picture sort of thing. And because you are a man of faith, and I, I have enormous respect for that yeah. in itself, uh, COVID times, yeah. um, you know, the world has obviously been hit by this pandemic. It's um, once in a hundred years yeah. sort of thing. Um, you and I were both not alive during the last one, no. but uh, we know the consequences of it. How do you look forward to the future for Australia and the world coming out of something like this COVID-19? Realistically, in our modern age of medicine, I think we'll come out of it. Um, we have different vi views around as to whether vacuum scenes are good, bad or indifferent. And I've had contact with a couple of people personally that question that. Um, but I think we, we will come out quicker than they did back in the, the early 1920s one because they took them 10 years to get out of that one. And I think we'll come through that. Um, but part of that also is the question when people begin to say, well, what's life really worth? What is the future? Where do I go when these things happen? And that's not the only thing we're facing at the moment with a world of uncertainties. Uh, my concern is that anybody who had Sunday school or youth group or church background somewhere in their childhood, God's in the picture. He might be in the corner, but he's there. Now the question is about, well, why isn't he doing this and why isn't he doing that? But for people under their 35, see, uh, interesting statistic, 1948, 83% of Australian children went to Sunday school. 1998, that was 3%. 2008, that was 2%. So there's a whole generation of people under 35 or 38 where that sense of, I call out to God in, in stress, he's not there. And that to me is a bigger concern because in times of stress, you need to have a place to call or a phone number to call. Uh, and I think that's going to have more concern of people uh, being easily led with others or jumping to other conclusions or deciding, well, I'm going to 
drink myself into oblivion. I'll, I'll drop out. Uh, what's the use? I'll become a hermit. I don't understand these kind of questions. Uh, and uh, I just wish, uh, when I pray, they give me 60 seconds. They won't give me the microphone for 30 minutes. But let me tell you, I, I'd like to preach for 60 minutes to an Aussie crowd about the realities of life right now. Now, I'll tell you an interesting thing. I talk with uh, an idea. People think God arranges everything. Well, if God did that, why did God do that? I said, no, he didn't do it at all. But, but I said, no, no, that was an illness. That was a disease. That was an accident. God didn't do that. He doesn't work that way. Even though some religions believe it's done. So I came up with a concept as to how to understand God's role. God is like the clerk of the course. He's in charge of everything. But he doesn't control everything that happens on the track. But whatever happens on the track is accountable to him. So that concept, he's there and in control, but he doesn't control what people individually do. And uh, that freedom he's given to us, and if people want to ignore him, he'll handle it. He's got big shoulders, and he's been around a long time. Uh, but to understand that in our world today, uh, you see, in, in outside of our Western world, there is a huge moving towards faith. As a matter of fact, there are more people moving to faith in Jesus Christ in two countries of the world than anywhere else in the world. They are China and Iran. And Iran at the moment, on record from mission organisations, have more people putting their faith and seeking faith in Christ than anywhere else in the world. Great stress, great distress, great disruption, great tearing apart of life. And so what's really important? There must be some, we've got to find out. And that kind of thing sends people searching uh, when they're in stress. In Australia, apart from COVID, who, who needs heaven? We've got this. You know, we're so comfortable here, we don't have a need except more money. And, and as far as our drivers are concerned, they are at more speed and, and quicker times. <laughs> There's no sense of personal need in most of us. And yet behind the scenes, behind the scenes, there are people that are in distress and are looking to find where to turn to. Gary Coleman. In an organisation like Motor Racing Ministries, it must be an interesting situation because you're a chaplaincy, yeah. and not all members are members of the same church or the same discipline yeah. of the church. How does that interaction, you all believe in the same yeah. supreme being, yeah. you all believe in motor racing, yeah those two commonalities, but then the method to it is where you all differ. Basically, all those in our chaplaincy organisations have the same, the same conservative view of scripture and, and trust in Christ. We have a doctrinal framework that we sign in our organisation, and it's a reasonably conservative, traditional Christian position. Uh, one of the things we don't get to do much is discuss theology too much because we do come from different church groups and some variations, but our major concern is assisting people, praying with them, helping them to begin to consider God's place in their life and then our love for the sport. And the other thing is keeping tabs on each other because if we have a bad weekend here, I've got four other chaplains that ring and say, how you doing? They'll ring during the week and say, how you doing? I've been praying for you. So that care for each other. But, uh, yeah, but interesting enough, those that have been drawn to our overall organisation have the same traditional conservative view of Christian faith and how to get there.
Um, thank you very much, Gary Coleman, for your words, your time, your service, and your friendship over a long period of time. Um, I'm sure that I speak for many millions of people around motorsport in Australia and beyond that, that we're greatly appreciative of the time you've spent and what you've put into it. So thanks, Gary Coleman. Appreciate it, Tony, and, and, and uh, for my friend very much, you know. Gary Coleman on Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.